following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. The church at Corinth had a great start, but somehow, some way, they moved into a place where they stopped putting their trust in the Lord and became more dependent upon human wisdom, and they paid the price for that. We've been going through the book of Corinthians, and it seems like it's been a little while since we have been together and in our last time in this letter that we really have just started. The church at Corinth, by way of sort of reviewing as we move into where we left off, the church at Corinth was a blemished church. Some of its members were guilty of sexual immorality. Others were getting drunk. Still others were using the grace of God to excuse their worldly living. It was also, as we have learned, a divided church with at least four different groups competing against one another. And so this meant, sadly to say, that it was a disgraced church. Instead of glorifying God, it was hindering the progress of the gospel message. Well, we might ask, how did this happen? The members of the church had permitted the sins of the city to infiltrate the gathering, the community of faith. Now, keep in mind that Corinth was a sin-polluted city filled with every kind of depravity, every kind of worldly pleasure. It was a harbor city, no shortage of sailors from around the world. About the lowest accusation you could make against a person in that day would to call them a Corinthian. If you were to hear that, you would understand that that was not a, intended to be a compliment. Far from it. Corinth was a proud philosophical city not that far from Athens with many itinerant teachers promoting their conjectures, their theories, and their philosophies. Unfortunately, this philosophical approach ended up with some of the groups being applied to the gospel and therefore adding to the division that existed in the community of faith in that city. The congregation was made up of different schools of thought. Instead of being united together behind the gospel message, of course, when you have proud people depending on human wisdom, adopting the lifestyle of the world, you are going to have problems, correct? correct. In order to help them solve their problems, the Apostle Paul opened his letter to the Corinthians by reminding them of their calling in Christ. He opens his letter by reminding them of that and then spends the rest of the time explaining that to them, what that is to look like, what the details of that are, what all of that entailed of living a life 
representative of one who is called by Christ. And so we left off at verse 17, and I want to begin there because verse 18 gives us a wonderful contrast to what Paul said in verse 17. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence. He's referring to human wisdom. Not with human wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And now verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. The term, the message in verse 18 is literally in the original meaning the word, the word of God. And it is in contrast with the words of human wisdom that Paul referred to in verse 17. Paul, being led and inspired by the Holy Spirit, puts forth a verse here that is nothing short of brilliant. What do I mean? You see, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are in the world, foolishness to those who are actually on their way to destruction. They think they've got it all together. They think they are smart, sharp, and intelligent. But really, Paul is saying, no, really, you're the foolish ones, and you are on your way to destruction to prove that. But for those who are being saved, it is not only the power of God, it is also the wisdom of God. So Paul's saying, not only is there power in the message of the cross, but there is actually the wisdom of God, the creator of all things, the wisdom who belongs to him is in that message as well. Not foolish, smart, and actually intelligent. This is what we saw in him referring to and pulling from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14 in that 19th verse. You see, in times of trouble, in the days back when Isaiah was a prophet of the Lord, speaking and prophesying, obviously, to the people of Israel, whenever they would find themselves getting in trouble, it seems like more times than not, they would rely upon themselves, rely upon human wisdom rather than God's. And time and time again, they paid the price for that. It cost them. So what the world calls silly and foolish, Paul is letting us know, now actually God calls smart and wise. The message of the cross Therefore, church gives hope. Who's got hope this morning? <laughs> it gives hope. It also gives direction to the way that we are to live. For it is only when we deny ourselves, take up our crosses, right? Symbolic of the cross of Christ that we find true life. In other words, it's dying up front to ourselves so that we can really, really, truly then live the life that God intends. Paul is telling them that what some were considering to be wise, in other words, worldly wisdom, was actually what was foolish 
because it's kind of like in our vernacular, it's, it's sort of Paul's way of saying, hey, how's that working for you? Yeah, and of course we know the answer. It's not working at all. In my study this past week for this message, I, I found out and I learned and I seen the picture of this ancient graphic that has been etched in stone that you can go and see in Rome today. And it's a, it's a picture of a worshiper worshiping a figure who has been crucified on a cross. The body of the figure on the cross is the body of a man, but the head is the head of a donkey. Now, I want you to thank King James Version for the name of donkey. That graphic is letting us know what the world thought about the cross of Christ. Ancient graphic. There is a contrast between those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Ultimately, everyone must fall and will fall into one of those two categories. There are only those two. Similar to what Paul did in verse 13 when we were there, Paul hammers home the point with a series of rhetorical questions. Look at verse 20 with me. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? <laughs> Paul's point is that no human wisdom can stand up to or avail before God. And he uses three typical terms that are still around today that are used to describe those who are thought to be the wise, the smart, the intelligent, the one with all the answers and solutions. He says and refers to them as the wise person, the teacher of the law, the philosopher. Now look at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. The key word in those verses we've just read is wisdom. In fact, it shows up eight different times between verses 18 and 25. The key idea, however, is that Paul expresses here is that we dare not mix human wisdom with the revealed message of God. Unfortunately, we have a lot of that going on today, which might be part of the reason, at least, why some of the body of Christ is so weak is because we've allowed, like Corinth, human wisdom to come in and be mixed with the revealed message of almighty, powerful God. Paul didn't change 
nor did he reduce the message of the cross when speaking to Jewish people to make it something that they might accept, nor did he change it and reduce it to make it something that the Greeks might agree with or accept. He just preached the message of the cross as God gave it to him, as we have in Scripture. In fact, the gospel of the cross, as Paul says, was a stumbling block to Jewish listeners, and it was foolishness to the Gentiles. You see, Jews just could not get Jesus because they could not accept a crucified Messiah. And the Gentiles could hardly imagine a more ridiculous religion than one that proclaimed salvation through the death of one man on a Roman cross even to them. A God who could not overcome his human enemies wasn't a God at all. Therefore, no one that you dare put your trust in for any kind of salvation. God's wisdom is revealed primarily in the cross of Christ. Please, please let that just grab you <laughs> because it's huge. I was, as we were worshiping this morning and singing awesome songs with great words that should cause every single one of us to be so humbled and moved in our hearts and in our lives. And I was thinking, God help us. Because we sing these songs, I think sometimes we get, we just kind of accept it and it's like, um, oh, ho, hum. And I think sometimes we forget what we've been saved from. And we need to understand that God's wisdom in what the world calls silliness and foolishness, foolishness and wants nothing to do with God says, no, that is the supreme. That's the ultimate of my wisdom, the cross of Christ. Paul pointed out that there are three different attitudes towards the cross, and he mentions them for us. Some stumble at it, as we've seen in the first part of verse 23. This was, of course, the attitude of the Jews because their emphasis was on miraculous signs and the cross was anything but miraculous to them. It was everything and all about weakness as far as they were concerned. Because the Jews were looking for power and great glory, they stumbled at the weakness of the cross. Once again, how could anybody put faith in an unemployed carpenter from Nazareth, no less? who died the shameful death of a common criminal. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, once again, is indeed, church, the power of God. It is the power for salvation, Paul would later write in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, rather than a testimony of weakness, the cross is therefore a tremendous instrument of power. Some in the second part of verse 23 laugh at the cross foolishness. This was the response of the Greeks. To them, the cross was just ridiculous. The Greeks emphasized wisdom. They were all about wisdom, Greek philosophy and writings 
to this day are still sought out and studied. But they saw no wisdom in the cross. They looked at the cross from a human point of view. Big mistake. Had they seen it from God's viewpoint, they would have discerned the wisdom of God's great, awesome plan for salvation. Referring back to the three that Paul calls on in verse 20, the wise who is the expert, so to speak, the, the teacher, the, the scholar, or the scribe, that, that'd be the interpreter and the writer, and then the philosopher, that would be the disputer and the debater. He basically asks them one question. Through all of your studies in this world's wisdom, through all of this that you have put yourself into and filled your heads with and allowed your head to explode in pride, has it brought you to a place to know and have a personal relationship with God? Of course, the answer must be no. The fact that they laugh at the cross and consider it ridiculous and foolish is evidence that they are indeed lost. And the Greek mindset is still present today in those who think that the preaching of the cross is just way too simple, not complex enough for them, that it doesn't deal with the problems in our world, such as dysfunctional families, drug addictions and the cultural differences of our complex society and culture. Church, please hear me. Whether relating to marriage or government, depression or addiction, parenting, finances, unbelief or doubt, the cross is indeed the crux of every matter. We who have personally experienced the power of the message of the cross of Christ know this to be true. Amen. And that's where Paul takes us in verse 24 and 25 as he lets us know that not everybody rejects. Thankfully, that is so true, right? He lets us know that some believe and those who believe experience the power and the wisdom of God. Verse 24 and 25. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's what the message of the cross is. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than than human strength. Those who believe are called from both Jews and Greeks. There is an emphasis placed here, I want you to notice this, on the divine initiative. It is God who makes the call. Amen? It's the call of God. Here, as usual, in Paul's writings, called implies that the call has been effectively heard and responded to accordingly. 
And those called know that the crucified Christ means power. Understand. They understand that power, this power, isn't a power to be proud of, isn't a power that is for ourselves to keep to ourselves and be selfish with, to misuse, to abuse. No, not at all. This power is for the purpose of becoming more like Jesus Christ. It's about transformation. This power is for the use of being able to live out this calling that has come to us from our God. Before the call came, they, like us, were defeated by sin. Now there is a new power at work within them that they are discovering that no human wisdom apart from God could have any impact on whatsoever. They've discovered this. The power of God. Let me just quickly take you back through Christianity 101, okay? When you opened your heart to Jesus Christ, you were saved from the penalty of sin. And then you began to walk with him. And so day by day, you were being saved from the power of sin. Everyone should have said, hallelujah. (laughs) Unless, of course, you're not experiencing that. You see, before you came to Jesus, you had no option. You, you, were, you were a goner. You were a slave to it. But you know what the power of the cross does for us now? It's not saying that you become perfect and sinless in this life. It's saying you have a choice now. It's saying, you know what? You don't have to say yes to that temptation. That's what it's saying. And there's power in that. I love that. So you open your life to Christ, saved from the penalty of sin day by day, being saved from the power of sin. And then there will come a day when we are in his presence forever. We will be saved from the presence of sin. Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to that day. How about you? The presence of sin. Paul's combining power and wisdom is important here. Had the way to God been through earthly human wisdom, follow me now, Christianity then would have been opened only to the way to salvation, only by depending on how intelligent you were. Last night when I said that, everyone went, Glad that is not the case. (laughs) Unless you all think you're super smart, you must. (laughs) And you just totally missed that, didn't you? Yeah. Had it not been because of the foolishness of the cross, had it instead been because of your intelligence, and that depended on whether you would be saved or not, where would you be today? Okay. Is that a little better? However, the power of the cross does indeed open the way 
for the humblest, the weakest, to know God and therefore to overcome evil and sin. And that is the wisdom. That is a wisdom superior by far to anything the philosophers and the intelligent can produce. On the level of the search for wisdom, the foolishness of God proved to be true wisdom. Paul rounds off this section by saying, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. In the original language, Paul does not use the word for foolishness, which is Maria in the Greek, as he did in verses 18, 21, and 23. He changes it up in verse 25, goes with a different Greek word, it's morose. And actually in the original, where in verse 25 it says, for the foolishness of God, in the original it says the foolish thing of God. That's morose. What's the foolish thing Paul is referring to? The cross. He says, that which the world considers to be weakness, God shows it to be the strongest that anything the world could ever come up with. And then interestingly, I, I think this is interesting, the, that word morose, we get our word moron from it. So it's kind of like the world might be saying, you are a moron if you believe in that message. The word of God saying, <laughs> in love, <laughs> in a Christian sort of way, no, you're the moron <laughs> for rejecting the message of Jesus Christ. The gospel is stronger than man's strength. Simply because, think about it, we see we humans, we can't do anything to rescue ourselves. There's nothing we can do to eradicate the power of sin in our lives. There's nothing that we can do on a human level to get rid of the wages of sin, which Bible tells us is death. Nothing we can do about that. But it's the foolishness of the cross. The weakness of the cross that becomes the strength and power and wisdom that gets it done. Amen. Those who have been called by God's grace and who have responded by faith realize that the Christ, the Christ of the cross is indeed God's power and wisdom. It is in the death of Christ that God has revealed the foolishness of human wisdom, and the weakness of human power. Paul is letting us know as he was letting them know, keeping it simple is not stupid. It's actually pretty smart. Look at verse 26 with me. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. I like that. What were you? Not many of you were wise by human standards, Paul says. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with them. How about you? Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose 
the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Listen, let me just, just quickly say we're, we're fast, fast in a fast way approaching a society that is moving towards a sincere big-time foolishness with regards to the things of God. And what they've done is, you know, if you don't line up with their thinking, and I think because we, if we will stand for God, if we will stand for the Scripture, if we will stand with regards to what we have been called to, they will do everything they can to attempt to shame you and make you feel like you're stupid and unintelligent and foolish. Please. I'm not saying that you get all puffed up in pride and, and develop a, a, a bad attitude and treat them wrong. I'm just saying, don't buy it. Don't listen to it. And that you may know, because of what God's word says, it's actually the other way around. That doesn't mean you have to tell them that they're stupid. <laughs> but you can just remind them of the power of the message of the cross and what you choose to believe. And when it's all said and done, see how it all works out in the end. Amen. Paul reminded them of what they were. God called them not because of what they were. <laughs> he called them, he calls us in spite of who we were. The Corinthian church was composed primarily, I want you to hear this because it applies even still now. The Corinthian church, the Wellspring church, composed primarily of ordinary people who were, who are extraordinary sinners. Yeah? The contradiction God's method offers to worldly wisdom is illustrated by the, by the kind of people that he has called Think about it. He might have concentrated on the intelligent, the super smart, the high IQ'd people, the noble birth people, outstanding people, but in fact, he has chosen people with little to commend themselves of from a worldly standpoint. His, his power works miracles in the most hopeless material. <laughs> and his wisdom surpasses the best that men and women can produce. Paul directs his readers to reflect on the kind of person whom God has called. And the word is pointing here to the divine initiative. The number of unimportant people in the church did not come about because 
only people who would become Christians were from the lower classes and were from the unintelligent, the lower IQ, the untalented, the ungifted. No, that is not what Paul is saying. That is not what he's showing us. It came about because God chose to work his marvels. And the thing that the Jews were looking for and missed in Jesus, his signs and wonders and his miracles chose to work those marvels through people who were, from the human point of view, the most doubtful. <laughs> if we had been sent to the world to be the redeemer of the world and establish a world movement, I don't think you and I would have called fishermen of that day. I don't think we would have called a tax collector who was hated by both Jews and Romans of that day. That's not how we would have gone about it. What would we have done? We'd have found the, the community leader. We'd have got the mayor. We'd have got the quarterback of the varsity team. We would have done this and this and this, and that is not what God did. He chose you. He chose me. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know what you think of yourself, but let me tell you what God says. <laughs> the weak. And the foolish things he has called to shame this world and those who think they are smart. <laughs> Wisdom has been prominent in the discussion here. And clearly the Corinthians revered it in the typical Greek fashion. But Paul decisively rejects this as God's criteria for calling people. Now, please understand, because of the way it's worded here, Paul is not saying that nobody from the upper classes and nobody who maybe was latched into the philosophical wisdom thing, you know, didn't respond. It just says not many. Okay? Which should be saying something to us. Just says not many. So it doesn't say that they didn't. Some did. This is not to say that there were none from those classes that Paul mentions. There were some, just not a large number, which is telling us that there were those, most of them then from those upper classes of that time, could not humble themselves enough to accept what God was offering. Those who consider themselves wise are to be humbled by the contrast between the estimate of themselves and what God's choice reveals. There is another dimension here that I want us to make sure we do not miss. Paul says, God has not chosen only those whom the world counts foolish and weak. He has chosen those who really are <laughs> foolish and weak. God uses weak and foolish things. Why? Well, let's read on. Verse 28. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God 
that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul reminded the Corinthians of why God had called him. God chose the lowly things, the despised things that are not, meaning that which doesn't amount to anything, from a, again, from a world perspective, to show the proud world not only their need, but also his grace. The Lord uses weak things so that only he gets the credit. Now, someone who doesn't know a whole lot about God or his word might wonder, well, what's that all about? Is he on some kind of ego trip? Obviously, we know that he's not. We also know that God uses weak things not because of a lack in his nature, because of a lack in ours. Amen. You see, God knows when we use, when he uses someone in a way that's impressive in the eyes of the world, people set themselves up for huge fall because they look to the person rather than to God. People fail. Have you found that to be true? Have you ever failed? People fail. However, God will not fail. God cannot fail. Therefore, wise is the man, wise is the woman. Mature is the church that realizes that even though from time to time we will fail one another, that is never, ever a reason to quit on our walk with Jesus Christ because he will not. Paul says that the one who boasts, if you're going to brag, <laughs> you're going to get proud about something, let it be about him. Amen? And not ourselves. Why? Because Paul has shown us wisdom doesn't come from the Lord. Wisdom is in the Lord. All the promises of God, the Bible tells us, are in him. Yes and amen. Wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption, all that we could ever need or want, both now and eternally, are all wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. The annals of church history are filled with the accounts of great sinners whose lives were transformed by the power of the gospel and the message of the cross. And because of that message, amazing things take place that lawyers and psychologists, the elite, the intelligent of this world just do not understand. We have seen, because of the message, troubled and delinquent teenagers become successful students and outstanding citizens. We have seen, because of the message, marriages are restored, homes reclaimed, much to the amazement of the courts. 
In this chapter, we have seen the mistakes that the Corinthians were making, mistakes that helped to create huge problems in their church. They were not living up to their holy calling. Let me say that again, only because they were not living up to their holy calling, but were instead following the standards of the world and boasting about it. They were promoting human leaders, creating divisions in the church, and instead of glorifying God and His grace, they were pleasing themselves. But before we dare pass judgment on them, we should examine our own church. We should examine our own lives. We have also been called to be holy. We have been called into fellowship with our God and with each other. And we have been called to glorify God. Are we living up to this calling? Are we living up to this calling? Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your faithfulness. And we thank you so much for your plan of salvation and, and all that it involves and the method that you have displayed. We are thankful that you didn't make salvation possible only for the smart and the intelligent. But actually we learned today, we've been reminded today that you opened it up, you make it available to all of course, but you have specified it is to the foolish and to the weaklings in order to shame this world who think they are wise. God, I'm asking that for every single one of us, we would once again take serious the call of God upon our lives. You initiated it. It wasn't our idea. It is yours. We simply responded as we put our trust in you and began to see that indeed there is power in the cross of Christ and that it is indeed the wisdom of God. God help us to live up to that holy calling. Engrave on our hearts, God, and may it ever be before us that we belong to you because of that calling. May our lives look like it. May our lives demonstrate that we belong to you, that we do indeed believe the message of the cross and are being changed by it, transformed into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.